Where am I? Good morning. I'm Judith Lay and this is Praise, the programme that connects faith and daily life. Thanks, Radio. And on the programme today we catch up with our twin and learn more about Our Lady of Walsingham. But first, let's celebrate still being in the Easter season with another great resurrection hymn, Lift High the Cross.
the St. Michael Singers with Lift High the Cross. During the time that the Right Reverend Graham Knowles was Bishop of Soda and Man, he twinned this diocese with another, which at the time was in the care of the Right Reverend Michael Burroughs, and remains so to this day. Bishop Michael is a regular visitor here, and on a recent visit, kindly spared me a few moments for a chat. It's lovely to welcome back to the island the Right Reverend Michael Burroughs, Bishop of Cashel, Ferns and Ossery in the Church of Ireland, which is a linked diocese with the Diocese of Soda and Man. It's lovely to be back here again, as always. I think I've been on the island and in the Diocese of Soda and Man at least annually for, for many years now. We do indeed have a link between my diocese and the, in the southeast of, of Ireland and this one. That goes back to Bishop Knowles' time, and uh, there's Bishop Knowles and Bishop Patterson, and now Bishop Peter. And it all began when Bishop Knowles and I were at a conference on a bus together, and we were talking about our dioceses and realising they were quite similar, yet interestingly different, and we thought it wouldn't be interesting to have a kind of informal, mutually enriching companionship. I suppose in many ways, Soder and Man is in some ways quite unlike other dioceses in the Church of England. It's, it's much smaller. It has this Celtic feel. And um, because it's much smaller, it's much more familial in terms of the relationship of clergy and people and bishop and clergy. And I suppose we're rather like that too. And we're also very agriculturally based. So for all those reasons, we've had this mutually enriching companionship for a long time. And I remember well coming up to uh, Douglas Head to speak to you uh, when my hair was a lot darker than it is now. Astonishingly, that was uh, 11 years ago. It was just after Bishop Patterson had taken office and he was he was very new. And I think it was my first visit in his time and he brought me up and we both talked to you. Over those years, looking back, are there any particular moments of sharing that that you would say would stand out? Or would you say that it's one of those just mutually supportive friendships? I think the best of friendships work on quietly when people are at ease in each other's company, when occasionally they can share problems or cry on each other's shoulders, when they can enjoy common times of celebration and above all have a kind of an insight from the other which has a certain objectivity and detachment. What I love about coming here is I feel I know this diocese almost rather well at the moment and a lot of the clergy and yet when I come here I have no responsibility nobody is bending my ear about anything and so I can come with a sort of clarity and objectivity and talk into the situation and equally the Bishop of Soldier and Man can do that when he comes to us but yes there have been particular highlights um, coming here for ordinations and in the other direction too doing ordination retreats having uh, mutual visits of our choirs uh, some big events involving the, the Mother's Union Uh, very notably to and fro. One of the challenges, of course, is transport. We're only 22 minutes away in the aeroplane, but the aeroplanes are quite small and getting big groups into them at cost-effective prices at the time. That's a hint, you see, to Aer Lingus Regional, who are the only operator between here and Dublin at the moment. Getting large groups transported to and fro outside the small time of the year when the ship runs is challenging, but we we come and go. Now, this visit, you've been here for a particular purpose. Mm -hmm. You would leave it leading a quiet day for clergy readers. What was your theme for the day, Bishop? Yes, I was here for a quiet day, which was for those involved in ministry in this diocese. I suppose I was talking about a number of passages in Scripture where the language of those passages is... uh, 
subtle and challenging and open to interpretations and sometimes how the not so much the devil but the glory can be in the detail of the scriptural text and I was looking at a few very familiar scriptural passages about God's call to individuals like Isaiah in the Old Testament Peter in the New and just looking at how hidden in the text which we think we know backwards sometimes from singing it to Handel's Messiah or whatever there are just little nuggets of um, quirky nuggets sometimes about our call and how we can see it differently and have a new perspective on it. So it was really a a study of a very old-fashioned thing to do, a study of the text and indeed the text in the original Greek to some extent. I've been in ministry, ordained ministry a very long time now. I've been ordained for 32 years and a bishop for 13. Indeed, what really hit me rather frighteningly was recently the pension provider in the Church of Ireland wrote me a glossy letter with a picture of a sort of cruise ship on the cover, more or less saying, as you come to the final quarter of your active ministry, think of all the things that beckon in retirement. And I nearly threw it in the bin and said, I feel about 18, just go away. But the truth is, I've been at it a long time. And yes, I mean, and my father was a priest. And I suppose looking back over those years, the greatest change is how... For all sorts of truly good reasons, people in pastoral and parochial ministry are being more and more bowed down by the demands of propriety and compliance, data protection, copyright, adult safeguarding, child safeguarding, all these things which are a necessary part of today's life and today's, as it were, cherishing of the the rights and, um, uh, and the protection of individuals. But getting it all right and getting it all satisfactorily done, charity regulation is another huge one with us, I'm sure, here too. Sometimes you just think, I will never get out and do pastoral work. And I suppose it's about getting away from it all and being refreshed to do pastoral work. And speaking of work, in December of last year, you added another responsibility. Tell us about that, please. Yes, I've just become chair of the governors of the Anglican Centre in Rome. The Anglican Centre in Rome is an interesting thing. It's a bit like the embassy of the Anglican Communion and of the Archbishop of Canterbury in the Eternal City. It arose out of the ecumenical advances post-Vatican II, thanks to some generous people in Rome who felt that the Anglican Communion needed a permanent presence there to give a context to ecumenical dialogues, to allow people to study and to receive hospitality, to allow the coming and goings of theological conversations, to set up the best library of Anglican theology in English on the European mainland. And that centre, which has thrived in the years since, inevitably has to have governance. It has to have a board of governors like a school would. And I've been asked for the next number of years to be the chair of those governors who are an international overseeing group. Uh, We've people from the United States, people from Hong Kong, people from Australia, people from these islands and together we try to both by teleconference and two or three times a year actual meetings which allows the pleasure of a few trips to Rome uh, we oversee the work that is done there both in terms of the staff and in terms of the strategy and in terms of course of the finances so it's a very important part of Anglican ecumenical life and dialogue and um, those who visit the eternal city should feel it might be a place to put on their, their hit list in terms of enlightening destinations not 
not least because it shares a wonderful palace where we have a floor and an apartment uh, just near the, the Corso, the main street in the, in the middle of, of Rome with, with one of Rome's finest art galleries. So two birds with one stone. For you, I, I, it sounds as though it will be a very enriching appointment because not only will it put you, as you say, in the Eternal City, put you in mm-hmm. Rome, but also bring you into contact with, uh, I would have thought, a cross-section of very, very interesting people. It's amazing globally there are the number of people who come and go. I mean, Rome is still, even in these days of instant communication, Rome is still as it has been for centuries, the listening post for so many areas of life in terms of diplomacy, international relations and theological exchange. So that is still very much the case. I think too that because I'm Irish, in many ways a lot of my own work at home is the constant uh, deepening of ecumenical dialogue and shared uh, missional endeavour with the Roman Catholic Church. That's inevitable given where I come from and uh, the work I do and therefore it's very interesting to be able to put some of that uh, diocese an experience on the international stage. When you're a diocesan bishop, sometimes you don't own up to the things you do outside the diocese. You don't want people to think he's always away being wonderful somewhere else. So sometimes you, you, you cover up a bit, you're, you, you, know, you cover your tracks. But one of the things that really moved me back in Ireland is how genuinely pleased people have been that I've been asked to do this, because I think they feel that a relationship which is their daily bread and butter in terms of pilgrimage together with our our bigger church and the bigger church and our neighbours in Ireland is now something I can in a small way contribute to on the international stage. You have to walk a certain uh, tightrope between our bishop being um, involved in something that we feel is, you know, encouraging for us, but our bishop not being so involved that, as I say, he's always waving somewhere wonderful somewhere else. So I think that's a tightrope you walk. And that sense of our bishop and our bishop as someone who's known to us, whose activities we take interest in, occasionally even pride in, is something I've noticed so wonderfully here because in the familial, um, rather intimate world, dare I say, of, of, of Soder and Man, and I've watched three bishops here in, in action now, there's always that sense on the island of our bishop, and that's not clearly confined to Anglicans, that it is, the, the bishop of Soder and Man is a bishop of, of all on this island, and it's a wonderful ministry that far transcends old boundaries. Bishop Michael, thank you for visiting us, and thank you for talking today. Mm. I hope it won't be 11 years before we have our next I hope to be back for an ordination in September, to which I've been kindly invited here in the Cathedral in Peel, where we're speaking today. So, uh, you know, I, I, I look forward to the next 22-minute flight. And as I always say to Manx people, uh, coming and going is good. Ireland is very near.
A little taste of this year's Manx Music Festival on praise. Douglas Town Band chose How Great Thou Art in the Brass Band March and Hymn Tune class. The Shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham in Norfolk was established in 1061, when the then Lady of the Manor, Richeldis, prayed that she might be shown some special work she could do in honour of Mary, the Mother of God. In answer to her prayer, she was led in spirit to Nazareth and saw the house where the angel Gabriel had appeared to Mary, telling her that she was to become the mother of God's son. Following this, Richeldis built a replica of the holy house in Nazareth in Walsingham to act as a perpetual reminder of Mary's willingness to say yes to God. In the 100 years that followed, Walsingham became one of the greatest shrines in medieval Christendom. As we'll hear in a moment, the shrine has suffered neglect over the centuries, but reclaimed its significance as a place of pilgrimage in the early 1900s in the hands of the Anglican Church. One mile away from the Anglican shrine is the Roman Catholic Slipper Chapel, a wayside chapel where pilgrims would remove their shoes and walk the final mile barefoot to the shrine itself. The shrine at Walsingham draws people of all faiths and none, and an even stronger ecumenical partnership between the Anglican and Roman Catholic churches at Walsingham has just been formalised. And now Our Lady of Walsingham is coming to the island, as Father Tom Davis explains. Father Tom is the parish priest of St Matthew's Anglican Church on the North Quay here in Douglas and has been visiting Walsingham for many years. I have a great devotion to Our Lady of Walsingham, partly because I've been visiting Walsingham since I was about 11 or 12. And I was once very lucky to live in Suffolk. And Walsingham was only about an hour and a quarter up the road. And often people would say, oh, let's go to Walsingham. And I used to say, oh, not again. And then I moved north to the northwest. And of course, Walsingham became five, six hours away. And now I live on the Isle of Man. And it seems that it takes forever to get there. So it's always been very special to me. But for some reason, I still seem to move farther and farther away, but still want to go back. Where is a specialness in it? I think in the sense that it is a very peaceful little village in, in Norfolk, but one where prayer has been offered for centuries. The shrine began when the Lady of the Manor, Isheldis, had a vision of Our Lady who told her to build a house on the model of the House of Nazareth. And so for centuries, people would visit Walsingham, particularly those who were sick and sought healing, those who wanted to spend time in prayer. And equally, of course, it's all very much caught up with the same sort of thing as Geoffrey Chaucer and the Canterbury Tales. But Walsingham was one of the places that people in England would visit next to Canterbury during their lifetime. And has it continuously been a place of pilgrimage all of this time? Well, obviously at the Reformation, uh, Henry VIII realised that Walsingham had a great deal of money. And so therefore, with the rest of the abbeys, it was dissolved. And yet, Henry VIII used to make a regular pilgrimage to Walsingham and would walk what's known as the Walsingham Mile, which is from the Slipper Chapel, which is where you would leave your, your slippers, your shoes, walk the mile all the way to Walsingham. And indeed, he was a great benefactor of Walsingham until the issue of the divorce and divorces came along and the need for money. And so at the Reformation, everything went 
and nothing happened until Father Hope Patton went to Walsingham as the vicar in the 1920s and he began to build a little house once more and since then pilgrims have continued to flock to Walsingham. Now, I do know that there are regular pilgrimages, at least once a year, a group of people from the island make a pilgrimage to the Shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham. But I think something more is going to develop now on the island, isn't there? Could you tell me more about that, Father? Some years ago, there was what was called a cell of Our Lady of Walsingham. And a cell really means a group of people who have a common interest. And in this case, of course, it's Our Lady of, of Walsingham. And it seemed to have died out, although there were still a number of people on the island who would go to Walsingham every May, and indeed a party are going very soon. When I arrived on the island with my love of Walsingham, I wanted to rekindle the cell group and wanted it to be very much an island cell. I didn't want it just to be the cell of Our Lady of Walsingham and St Matthew. And that's because there's just over 30 people on the island who have a great devotion to Walsingham. And so therefore I encourage that the cell is known as Our Lady of Walsingham and St Macold, because then it's it's an island cell. It seems that there is more interest that as an island we could come together and, as it were, spiritually go to Walsingham. Well, of course, what you're doing is reflecting the spirit of Walsingham itself because it is ecumenical and all denominations and none. So presumably that's what you would be wanting to reflect on the island. Absolutely, yes, because in an an age where we're all on our phones or looking at the computer, we all need places of quiet. And sometimes there are those of us who actually seek that peacefulness, which is enwrapped in prayer. And in the simplicity, really, that Walsingham offers by the waters of Walsingham that people use and take back to their churches, it's very simple, but it brings that sense of calm and of peace and of being part of a bigger picture, which for me, of course, I would say the bigger picture is God himself. Now, if people are listening to this and thinking, maybe I'd like to find out some more, there is actually a perfect opportunity to find out a little more, isn't there? There is, yes. Father Kevin Smith, who is the administrator of the Shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham, I've persuaded him to come all the way to the Isle of Man because, as I've already said, there are pilgrims from the island who go to Walsingham. And I thought, well, let's make Walsingham come to the Isle of Man. And so in discussion with Bishop Peter and others, we're going to have a weekend where he will come to the island. There will be a mass at 12 noon at Peel Cathedral. And then after lunch, which is free, there'll be the opportunity to engage in some of the activities that happen at Walsingham, such as sprinkling with holy water, asking people to pray for us, and also for us to be anointed in holy oil, that sign that God hears and answers prayer. So it's very exciting that he's coming. And it's open to absolutely everybody. Everyone. Everyone is very welcome. Do people need to register or book a place? It would be helpful if people could perhaps let me know, but that's only because we don't want a feast and we don't want a famine. So um, (laughs) just a text or an email just to let us know would be helpful. And could you give us your contact details, please, Father? What's your email address? Oh, it's it's very simple. Father, F-A-T-H-E-R dot Tom at live, L-I-V-E, dot co, dot UK. And your telephone number is? 676310. 676310. 
Father, thank you very much indeed for joining us. No, thank you for asking. It's been a pleasure. And that Walsingham Day at the Cathedral in Peel is on Saturday, May the 18th, starting with Mass at 12 noon, with no charge and a warm welcome for everyone. And you can find Father Tom's contact details on the Praise blog, along with all our latest notice board news. Go to manxradio.com, on the homepage, click On Air, and on the drop-down menu, follow the link for blogs. little bit more music from the Guild. Manx Concert Brass were winners in a number of classes. I'll Walk With God was their choice of hymn tune. And I'm afraid that's all we've time for this week. On the programme next week, we'll discover how our church communities can be powerful examples of how to live carefully and considerately with God's creation. I'll be previewing Praying the Keels Week, and as Christian Aid Week starts on May the 12th, I'll be finding out about the project that our donations will be supporting this year. Thank you for listening to this week's Praise Podcast. There's a new Praise Podcast available every Sunday morning. You can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify via the Manx Radio smartphone app or at manxradio.com. So, till we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for your company and I wish you and those you love every blessing in the days ahead.